I don't understand that. I really don't. I, I would have understood tears, so would Jesus. I would have understood anger, so would Jesus. I would have understood bitterness, and so would Jesus. But what's that? Joy in the middle of the darkness. I've been doing this a very long time. I've done hundreds, probably thousands of funerals. And you know, I have never been to a Christian funeral where there wasn't laughter. I've cleaned up after suicide and I've sat there and listened to the tears as they fall on the ground. And in the middle of it, it always surprises me that there's laughter. Incredible pain, terminal. I talked to the wife of one of our board members who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer and I called up to give comfort. That's what they pay me to do. And she was having none of it. She said, Steve, I hate this more than you can know, but I'm good with it. And I have a peace and a joy that I've never experienced. And before we got off the phone, we laughed more than we cried. And I don't understand that, so I'm gonna write a book. In fact, I am, as we speak, writing a book with the title, Laughter and Lament, The Touchstones of Christian Freedom. I hope when it comes out, you'll read it, but I'm not writing it for you. I'm writing it for me so I can understand. Maybe when I finish it, I'll have some, did you hear about the little boy who was drawing a picture and his father said, son, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the father said, son, don't you know that nobody knows what God looks like? And he said, turning back to his drawing, they will when I finish. <laughs> well, maybe I'll have some answers when I finish with this book. The second chapter, by the way, is the laughter and the lament of God. We're created in his image. And maybe there's so much of God in us that laughter, joy, lament, and tears are the reality of our existence. G.K. Chesterton has a wonderful book called Orthodoxy. And in it, he describes the creation when God brings it all into existence. And he has God saying, do it again, do it again. And Chesterton makes the observation that there is the light in the God of the universe that is almost childlike. Then there's the cross and the tears.
My late friend Calvin Miller wrote a, three books called the Singer Trilogy. And the singer is Jesus who sings his healing song. And world hater is old Slewfoot, the devil, and creator is, of course, God. And when the singer is coming to the end of his song and he's being tortured and he's going to die, world hater shakes his fist at God and says, cry, creator, cry. Weep that your universe has turned its back on you. the tears of God in the blood of Christ. And so the God who created us, who created us in his image, perhaps, has created us with a capacity that is profound for lament. Not a broken fingernail or indigestion, but deep lament but he has also created in us the capacity for laughter and for joy. Matthew writes in the second chapter of Matthew as follows. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained for them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country 
and they went a different way. In a while, we're going to look at their joy and analyze it a bit. But first, I want to go down one or two side roads. And the first thing I want you to see in the words that I just read to you is the power of a whisper. Where did these wise men get the information they had? They lived in Babylon. How did they know about the Jews? Who told them about the Messiah? Why did they think the star had any particular significance? Where in the world did they get all of this? And I'm going to tell you. In the 6th century BC, the people of God were flown out of their country throughout the world. And most of them went to places like Babylon. And even when many of them returned, a lot of them remained there for generations. And even after the birth of Christ, there were Jewish covenant people living in Babylon. And they were living out their faith. A whisper here or there. A rumor of a Messiah. A word spoken in passing the power of a whisper. Not too long ago, I was having lunch with a friend of mine. He's a Christian. And as with Christians, the name Jesus came up in our conversation. We were aware that irritates some people, so we were keeping it pretty quiet, but it was there. And uh, when I got up to pay the bill, a young man came up to me and touched my shoulder and said, sir, could I talk to you just a minute? I heard you mention the name of Jesus. We're kind of living in Babylon now, aren't we? It's dark. I can remember when we were respected and looked up to because of our faith. If you were a politician and you wanted to be elected, you better be in church or it'll never happen. That's not true anymore. If you read uh, what's written on the social media, you're aware that they think there's something weird about us. We're trying to rob them of their fun and they are quite irritated about it. And this is the time when a whisper is important, a rumor needs to be shared, a word needs to be spoken. We've been doing that for a long time. You remember sixth chapter of Daniel and they told Daniel, you're going to lose your life. You keep doing this religious stuff. And there was a decree that if you worshiped anybody but the king, you would be executed. And Daniel said, hang it on your ear. And he went back to his house and he opened the windows and he prayed and praised three times daily as he had done before. The power of a rumor, the power of a whisper aptly spoken. You remember in Acts 3, no, it's Acts 4. 
and the disciples were arrested for what they, the second time, for what they were arrested for the second, the first time, and they were told not to do it anymore. And you remember what Peter said? We will obey God rather than men. It's uncomfortable sometimes to tell people who you belong to to speak the name of Jesus to people who don't want to hear it, to remind people of a redeemer, of one who forgives and loves and cares. Sometimes it's easier just to be silent. Don't you dare. We're the only light they've got. The power of the rumor of Jesus. Live it. Speak it. Let people know. Johnny Cash is one of my favorite singers of all time. When I get to heaven, he's going to sing a boy named Sue. Have you ever been to one of his concerts? My wife Anna, who's sitting over here, and I I was speaking for the National Convention for the Youth for Christ staff people. And Johnny and June Carter came and put on their whole show just as a thank you to those people who were serving kids around the world. Now, my, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina and I know good music. My wife is a classical musician and she doesn't. Uh, she was not into country music, but that night she was. If you've ever been to a Johnny Cash concert, he stands with his back to the audience and they shine a spotlight on him and he's dressed in black. Then he turns around and he says, hello. I'm Johnny Cash, and they go crazy. I mean, people start jumping up and down and shouting and whistling. My wife climbed up on the table and was whistling. It was a great concert. Uh, Johnny Cash can't sing, but nobody knows because nobody's ever heard him sing in a concert. <laughs> They're making too much noise. But I've been thinking about a song he wrote and sang of late. Let me read you the lyrics. It's called, I Won't Back Down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground. Won't be turned around. I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground and I won't back down. Hey baby, there ain't no easy way out. Hey, I will stand my ground and I won't back down. For God's sake, sing that song and don't back down. There's, uh, we're all they've got, by the way. And then there's one other thing before we look at joy I want you to see. 
Please note how God uses your bad stuff and the world's bad stuff to weave a tapestry to his glory. Most scholars are agreed that these wise men were not priests. They were magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers. And the Bible is very clear that Christians need to stay away from that sort of thing. And yet, here they are coming to worship the Christ child, a bunch of sorcerers, maybe worshiping the devil, kneeling before a crib with the baby Jesus in it. What's with that? I'll tell you what's with it. God uses everything for his glory. People are always saying to me, I, I don't talk about Jesus much. I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough, you idiot. I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna pontificate much because I don't know enough. Nobody knows enough. I do this for a living and I know more than you do and I don't know enough. I'm not nice enough. You ought to see me when I'm angry and cussing and spitting. I'm not nice enough, but it doesn't matter. And you know why? From the moment of your birth, God has been creating in you an instrument of his glory. And you go, yeah, when I read the Bible and I'm obedient and I go to church and I'm religious. No, 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 no. Every bit of it the sin about which you're so ashamed. Yeah, that one. The failure, the things you said to hurt people, the times you walked down a wrong road and you're so ashamed, every bit of it, he's using as an instrument from his glory. So live it out. Make sure they know, and he will use it. All right, let's talk about joy. Uh, when I was working on this teaching, this sermon, my assistant, Kathy, came into my study, and she said, you look troubled. What's wrong? And I said, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get joy out of this text, and it's not a text with the exception of one verse, and they told me to talk about joy. There's only one verse in it, and it's not a text that I would pick to teach joy. And she laughed, and I said, and frankly, I think the fact that I have to do it is because I offended a magician when I was a little boy, and this is my core curse. I don't feel joyful. We're in the middle of a pandemic, been locked down, the most divisive election in American history. My friends don't speak to me anymore. I have to wear this dumb mask, and you ought to try and smoke a pipe wearing a stupid mask. I don't feel very, she, she said, I know where the joy is. I said, all right, tell me. And she said, they had been with the camels for days and days in the wilderness. And then they found the barn. 
That's why they were joyous. And probably there was a restaurant down the street and they could get a beer. And then she laughed and she said, if you've been with camels that long, joy comes pretty fast. And then she said, don't thank me. I was glad to help. And she walked out of my study. It's a good point. There was probably some of that. But it goes a lot deeper than that. I don't understand it. But, but I can look at it, and you can too. And we can claim it for ourselves. First thing you ought to note is that their joy was unexpected. Real joy almost always is. They didn't expect a star. If you had told them five years before that they would be in Bethlehem, their first question would be, where's Bethlehem? They were doing what sorcerers do. They were doing what astrologers do, and then everything changed with a star. It's the way God works, the unexpected. I have a, I have a friend uh, whose little boy, she and her little boy were at McDonald's. And her son was really excited and pleased when he got his cheeseburger. And she said, honey, what are you so happy about? He said, I just looked and I've got two pickles. This is going to be a two pickle day. <laughs> I love it. Yours too. God, because he promised, creates two pickle days for his people. I know the darkness. I know the pain and the division and the questions and the doubts and the sin, but still he promised. I've said these things to you that you might be religious. He <laughs> didn't say that. I said these things to you so you'll be smart. He didn't say that. I said these things to you so you will be pure and more obedient. He didn't say that. He said, I've said these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be filled. That was unexpected. I'm a cynical old preacher and I see the dark, but that's unexpected and it always is and he always promises. So God works in unexpected ways, uh, but there's more. Their joy was not only unexpected joy, it was also joy that was about Jesus. Real joy almost always is. There's a church near where I live and I go by it most days. And on parents' visitation day at UCF, they had a sign out in front. And you know what it read? It said, bring your parents to church and we'll pretend that we know you. <laughs> Do 
Jesus is coming back, look busy. No, don't. That dog won't hunt. Jesus is coming back, look religious. <laughs> he knows you're not. Jesus is coming back, be nicer. You can't pull it off. Jesus is coming back, and what should you expect? Joy and a party. We think when Jesus walks in, people get serious, cry and confess and repent, and I guess there's some of that. But mostly, Jesus is here. Let's have a party. That's true of the world. That's what Bethlehem was all about. And that's why the wise men, when they saw the star, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And you can too. Walk with Jesus. You can tell a Christian who does. They make videos like the one we saw. And when the dark comes, there's joy. That is what Christmas is all about. Joy to the world. But there's, there's more. Uh, the wise men's joy was unexpected. It was about Jesus. But it also was rooted in hope. Real joy almost always is. What were they doing putting expensive gifts in front of a baby? What was that all about? Baby can't do anything. This is not even a prince. This is just a normal, run-of-the-mill, ugly baby. What are you doing? What? Because it's hope. Because that baby would grow up and God had promised redemption and forgiveness and joy. I wish you knew my brother. You would like him. He was my best friend and he died in his 40s and I still miss him. He was the district attorney and probably would have of the 28th congressional district in North Carolina. And if he had lived, he would have been the governor of North Carolina. He was that bright, that articulate, that charismatic, and was so proud of him. One time, our mother sent him to live with us over the summer to straighten him out. <laughs> A lot of luck that was. A lot of luck with that. And he worked as a waiter in a fancy restaurant. And he was not cut out to be a waiter. He kept falling and getting the order wrong and he spilled coffee on one of the prominent clients at that restaurant, uh, customers, and they fired him. I looked for him because I knew he needed his big brother to give him some comfort and he was laughing and I said, what are you laughing about? He said, because the next minute may change my life. It did, by the way. The next minute, can, I don't care where you are or how dark it is. Remember, you're a people of hope. The next minute could change your life. And you might wake up 
and look up and he will come. That's what Advent is about. Joy that comes from what happened then and hope for what's been promised in the future when there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears and we will laugh and laugh and laugh. The world lives on what they've got and received. We live on what we've been promised from the God who created it all and knows what to expect. Joy. Joy. There's one other thing and then I'm finished. I'm hungry. Be glad. That's a cause for joy. The joy of the wise men was not only expected, unexpected, not only was it about Jesus, not only was it built on hope, the joy of the wise men was grounded in fact. You know the dangerous thing that happens to us at Christmas? There's a difference between manufactured joy and the real deal. Now, there's nothing wrong with the manufactured joy. You do that with trees. You decorate them and presents and having family around and playing music incessantly uh, in malls and, and lights everywhere. That's manufactured joy, and sometimes it's good, so enjoy it. But the real thing is a fact. This is not a story, it's a fact. You know what I did two or three weeks ago? I interviewed a new friend of mine. His name is Louis Marcos. And he, uh, and he wrote a book called Myth uh, Made Fact. Louis um, is enamored with Greek and Roman mythology. And he shows how God has prepared the entire world in the mythological stories of everybody in the world for the coming of Jesus at Bethlehem when the myth became fact. In fact, Lewis told me that C.S. Lewis became a Christian because of this. Lewis was the professor and an atheist of medieval and literature at Oxford and at Cambridge. And he loved mythology. And he thought the Christian faith was just another myth. And his friend Tolkien, one time when they were out walking, said to him, Jack, you ever think of it in a different way? Look at the thing you call the myth of the Christian faith. It's a completion. It's a reality. It's the myth that has become fact. And two weeks later, Lewis became a Christian. Changed his medieval and Renaissance literature. It changed everything when he saw it and he got it. I've probably done this for you before, but it's worth repeating. Let me give you a mini lesson in history. 
some thousand years, somewhat less, uh, before the birth of Christ, a group of nobodies in the middle of the desert, living in tents with their animals, smelly, uneducated, of no account, got a crazy idea. And the idea was that there was one God and that that God had called them to be his people. Nobody knows where they got it. But you know what happened? They developed, listen to me, the highest form of ethical monotheism the world had ever seen. And they began to move down a corridor of history. About 700 years before the birth of Christ, there was another corridor of history, and it's certainly Western civilization. It was called the Greco-Roman uh, corridor. You remember, you read it in history, the Peloponnesian Wars, Alexander the Great and his screwed up family. <laughs> it's a great story. There was great literature great philosophy, great science. And when the Romans came along, it was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And there was a common coinage, a common language, a common road system. And those two stories or narratives of human history moved parallel to one another through the years until at one time in all of human history, they crossed. And at that very moment, Jesus of Nazareth was born. If he had been born 40 years later, there would be no Northland and you wouldn't be here. If he had been born 40 years before, you never would have heard his name. Accident? What are you, a fruitcake? And there's more than that. Did you know that in all of human history, in every culture, in every place, from the most sophisticated to the third world nations, there is an understanding in the DNA of sacrifice without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And then when those corridors crossed, the cry, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world and every culture knew, they understood. Thought forms. Did you know that the Greeks understood molecular physics before they knew what molecules were? Their philosophers, the Stoics in particular, said that everything, nothing solid, Plato had a hand in this too, that nothing is solid, that this chair looks solid, but it's not. It's moving, unattached. And there's something that holds it together. And you know what they said held it together? The Logos, 
the same word that John uses in the first chapter of John, and the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Jews, they had a concept of wisdom, and wisdom became personified in the book of Proverbs. And then the wisdom became the word, and it was that word, Logos. And so when John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Jewish rabbis went, boy, they, I get it. And the philosophers and the architects and the soldiers said, oh, yes, we understand. So enjoy Christmas, you should. It's fun. And it's joyous. But it's manufactured. Remember, it's all about not a story, but something that really happened. And because it really happened, you're really forgiven, okay? Yes, the sin you just thought of. Because it really happened, you are loved beyond anything that you can imagine. Because it really happened, you're his, and you're going to live forever. That's Christmas joy. Nobody finds this funny but me, but I've got a friend who has a niece who's single and wants to be married badly. She also is very accomplished. She has a wonderful career, and uh, she travels all over the country, flies from one city to another, and is very, very successful. But, but she wants to be married, and during this pandemic, it's really hard being alone by herself. She can't go anywhere, and she's been telling her friends, I wish I had a husband. I wish I was married. And she posted on her Facebook account, I look forward to the day when I walk down the aisle, hear the music and the wonderful words. This is your captain speaking. <laughs> well, someday the planes will be full. Someday you guys are going to have a pastor. Some days we're not going to have to wear this stupid mask. Someday the election stuff will settle down. Someday, someday there won't be lockdowns and pandemics. And meanwhile, if you listen to what I taught you, laugh and dance before the throne. Even if you have to wear a mask when you do it. You think about that. Amen.